0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. If you've ever been uh, in a desperate place to hear from God, you've probably read the Psalms. Because oftentimes when people are desperate, they do this. And the Psalms happens to be pretty much in the middle of our English Bible. Uh, It's interesting, I've heard stories actually over the years of people that were in a hotel room and they were um, going through a crisis and they slid open that drawer next to them and there happened to be a Bible there placed by the Gideons and they flipped open their Bible and they put their finger down and right there, in the words of Scripture, there was an expression of what they were feeling. The Psalms tend to be that. Uh, the Psalms are a really the songbook of Scripture. They put into words what the people of God feel in almost any circumstance that life throws at them. The Psalms model how to grieve, how to lament, how to express joy, how to praise God, and more. And so this month, we're going to be walking through the Psalms together. Um, if you're a part of our email list, you got an email saying, hey, over the next month, starting August 1st, if you can read three Psalms a day or listen to them on an audio Bible app, then by the end of August, we'll have all read the Psalms together. There's 150 Psalms. And so that's what we're going to be doing this month. We're going to be reading them together as a church, and then we'll be um, Um, preaching some selected psalms um, during the month of August as well. Um, If we were to preach through every psalm, it would take us about three years on a Sunday, so we're not going to do that um, since there's 150 of them. Uh, Did you know, though, uh, of the psalms, um, that there is actually eight different writers of the psalms? Um, Psalms 14 that we just read was um, authored by David, and you can see that. Most of your Bibles say that in the beginning. But did you know that Moses wrote a psalm. How many people know that? Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. So there's uh, at least eight different authors. There, there may even be more. Some psalms may have been written and they just handed to David to put some music to. We don't know for sure. So 150 psalms, at least eight different authors. In the Hebrew Bible, the psalms are actually organized into five different sections, and they're split up in that way. The Psalms are are prophetic, they're passionate, and they're poetic. And so as we read them through together in the next month, um, I hope that you'll sit in the Psalms as well. You know, one of the things I like to do in the Psalms is as I'm reading through them, I like to to read through them once and then go back and look for a line that I can pray. Um, Earlier in the summer, I was actually reading through the Psalms, and some of the Psalms really hit me as I was thinking about the situation in the Ukraine, and so I was praying for the Ukraine as I was reading the Psalms. So you just heard Psalm 14, and that's the Psalm that we're going to open up together um, this morning. This one was written by King David, but now I want you to read it. I want you to engage your mind and your senses for just a moment And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 14. Again, pretty easy to find. Just flip it open in the middle. Put your finger down. You'll be pretty close. Psalm 14, one of the shorter ones, just seven verses. Before you read it, though, so let me know when you're there. Look up at me. If you don't have a Bible, please use one in front of you. You can take it with you. But I want to ask you to sit somewhere else when you read this psalm. You know what I mean by that? When we read God's Word, where are we sitting? Well, we're sitting in our culture, in our time, in our situation. We have uh, the, the life events that are happening around us. We have them in mind as we read them. And so sometimes we can disassociate from Scripture because we think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. But I want you, for just a moment, to sit somewhere else when you read Psalm 14. Imagine, this psalm has been read for thousands of years by believers, and while it was written in a context, probably with some very specific things in mind as David wrote it, there is a kind of a universal connection that many of us might feel when we read this psalm, but, but for us in America, we're pretty comfortable, things are all right, um, maybe this one doesn't hit us the same way. So here's why I want to ask you to sit. I'm going to give you three options this morning. As you read Psalm 14, I want you to sit, potentially sit in eastern Ukraine, where your village has been destroyed, where kids that you once saw running in the playgrounds have been kidnapped and deported to Russia, where everything that you once knew has been laid to waste, and you feel powerless to do anything about it. So that's option number one. Sit in eastern Ukraine as you read Psalm 14. Here's another option. I want you to sit in North Korea. North Korea, we're the most closed country in the world, where people are, are not free to worship how they want to worship. I, I heard a story this week, I read a story this week on the US Depart- State Department website about a, a Christian believer just across the border in North Korea, in China, who as North Koreans would come in to get spices to bring back into their country, He would share the gospel with them. Some would stay with him for a week or more. Well, word got out in North Korea that he was doing this, and so they came across the border and they kidnapped him so that he would stop sharing the gospel. That's the situation in North Korea, darkness. So maybe you sit in North Korea as you read Psalm 14. And the third option I'll give you is I want you to sit in the country of Nigeria. Nigeria, which has a a vibrant Christian community, a historic Christian community community, that has been under attack for a number of years by um, Muslim extremists, Boko Haram, by Fulani tribesmen, who routinely raid Christian villages and kill and kidnap their people. So sit in eastern Ukraine or North Korea or Nigeria and read these seven verses this morning, and then we'll bring it back together. If you were sitting in an oppressed situation, you open your Bible and you put your finger down in Psalm 14, what would it speak to you? There's four parts to this song, and it is a song. I often wonder, what was the tune like? Sure, very different than anything we've, we hear in our culture today. But when you sit in this song, there's these, there's these four parts. Psalm 14 starts, part one with David the psalmist pointing out what the fool says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The the problem that David is expressing from the beginning of this psalm is a, a type of atheism not the type that we probably think of in our current culture, which is the philosophical atheism, the, the working out of, of determinism and naturalism and all those things. The, the type of atheism that David has in mind is a, is a practical atheism. Because the fool is saying this where? In their heart. The way that they're living. If asked, the people in this time may, may actually say they believe in God, but deep down in their heart, they don't, and they certainly aren't living like it. And so David sees this type of atheism in the fool, in the evildoers around him. You know, there's many people in our culture who asked, when asked, would say the same thing, that they believe in God, but there's a practical atheism in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, I believe in God because I go to church once a week, (laughs) but the way that I treat people, what I do with my finances, how I love my family, how I treat other people. There's a practical atheism involved. There's, there is no, not really any God. God doesn't really care even if you, there were one. And so, how do you know? How do you know the heart of a person? How could David know this? Well, by the fruit of their lives, by their actions. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. They use the poor for the benefit, they cheat on their spouse, they lie more than they tell the truth, they're corrupt, and their deeds are evil. This idea of, of corruption is a distortion of what should be. And so David is pointing out these type of people, but he's not the only one that's taking notice who else takes notice of these people? Well, part two, we see what God sees. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. there is no one who does good, not even one in the Hebrew we're, in the Hebrew this word corrupt is different than verse 1. It literally means sour milk. Have you ever drank sour milk by accident? I actually did just a few weeks ago. Um, We had some in our fridge, and I don't have cereal very often, but we had some of that like good, sugary, sweet cereal, you know, that they market to kids now. It wasn't, it wasn't the, like, cookies masquerading as cereal. I don't get that one at all. It's like a bowl of cookies, but it was close to that. And I thought, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. And so I poured the milk in, and it looked fine. And I started eating it, and I said, something's off, and it's not the cereal. <laughs> this idea, it, it, on the outside, it still looks like it should, but inside, something is off, something is corrupt. Have you ever asked this question? What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? In in 1908, the London Times asked a number of authors, of, of notable authors in the culture, this question. We want you to write on the topic, what is wrong with the world? How would you answer that question today? Maybe you have that question all the time with friends over coffee or over a meal, and you start talking about all sorts of things. What, what, what would you mention, right? you probably mention politics, social agendas, income inequality, inflation. What is wrong with the world? Well, one author responded to the London Times query of him the prolific author who'd written uh, many books, was a known journalist. His name was G.K. Chesterton. And his answer was the shortest. He simply wrote this. Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton wasn't trying to take credit for all the evil in the world. His point is that what was wrong with the world is that we human beings are sinners. He saw no benefit to pointing his finger across the aisle at other people. He said, since I am a sinner, I am the problem. The Apostle Paul would later quote, this same section of Psalm 14, you find it in Romans 3. And you would quote it, to let Jews and Gentiles, which a Gentile is just a non-Jew, to let them know that they stand on equal ground. They are all sinners. So Psalm 14 reminds us of the inherent nature that we have And it reminds us as believers where we came from. And so while we should and we must stand against the effects of sin, the fruit of sin, we can never forget the root of sin. And that's what Chesterton was reminding the people of. So functional atheism says there is no God. And that's demonstrated clearly by the way that we live. So David saw that. But more importantly, God sees it as well. No one is good. Not one. And if you were me, when I was younger and I remember reading this passage in the one in Romans, I was like, wait a second, there's some good people. I took it personal. I took offense to that. Nobody wants to be called out for their own sin, do they? But this reality that all of us are, have a proclivity in us to become sour milk Is true. And so, David sees this. God sees this. And so part three of this psalm asks a question. Do all these evildoers know nothing? If David sees it and God sees it, certainly the evildoers themselves must realize what they are doing. But they can't. They don't. Apart from having an encounter with God, none of us can know the depth of our own sin. All of us will wake up in the morning and say, I'm mostly good. I'm good enough. But apart from understanding the holiness of God, the goodness of God, none of us can know the true depth of our own sin. Where is God? Do these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. You can imagine the people that were having evil done against them asking that question. God, where are you? And the functional atheist saying, see, there is no God. We can have our way. Where is God? Those lost in sin never have a clue. They never understand. And we see this, some of Jesus' last words before he died, when he was on the cross, they reflect the reality of those who are lost in sin. Luke 23 records Jesus saying, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. How true that statement is. If we could see, I mean truly see the depth and darkness of our own sin in light of the goodness and power of God, we would simultaneously gag in disgust and shudder in fear. Oh, that's what my sin looks like. That's the effect it has. While the evildoers never call out To God, those having evil done to them do. Where is God? God, where are you? Where are you in this moment? I'm pretty certain a number of you have cried this out before if you're not crying it out right now. God, where are you? This evil that's been done against me, this harm that's been caused, this suffering that I'm enduring. Evil seems to be winning. God seems to be quiet. But the question will be answered, do these evildoers know nothing? But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. And here the psalmist, here David says, wait a second. One day they will see. One day they will understand who they were against. And it wasn't just the people. They were against God himself because God is in the midst of those that belong to him. He is right there with them. And in that moment, what they thought was winning becomes loss. They become, what, overwhelmed with dread. They see the depth of their sin. They see who they are opposing. Their sin is revealed, and so is their future. Verse 6, you evildoers, frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Though it seems evil may be winning for a moment, God is with those that trust in him and in his time and in his way those that are righteous will see the injustice done against them accounted for isn't that good news isn't that what we all long for that things that are that are wrong would be made right that war would end that poverty would cease that everyone would get a warm meal that nobody would take advantage of everybody that in our relationships we'd be truth-tellers, not liars? Don't we long for an end to evil and injustice? It's what so many of our stories are about. In the last 20 years, partly thanks to CGI and technology, but we've been able to take these stories of heroes, of superheroes, and bring them to to the visual screen, bring them to a place where we can engage with them, And so Marvel movie and DC movie after DC movie are made over and over, all telling the same story. Evil is present, but there is a hero who will come and deal with evil once and for all. Injustice will end, justice will reign, peace will be present. All of us want that. It's why we can watch the same plot over and over and over again and celebrate as if it's the first time. We want a hero to bring justice and to restore peace. And so Psalms 14 ends with that promise of future restoration, part four. First, the heart cry, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come Out of Zion. Oh, that it would happen, and it will. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. I love the Psalms. I love how often they start with this lament at the beginning of what is happening, and they end with hope. They end with a a future promise, a current reality. Psalm 14 is ultimately a prophetic song of hope, reminding us that God is with us and that justice and restoration will come to pass. There's a couple of ways we can look at this ending of Psalm 14. We can look at it, first of all, as pointing to Jesus. Out of Zion, Jesus would come. Out of God's holy place, Jesus would come. He would restore his people to right relationship with God. We also see it as a a future promise that one day all evil will cease. And in that way, I think Marvel and DC are prophetic. There will be a hero. He will return. He will deal with evil once and for all just as he promised. And so if you're sitting this morning in that question, know that God is with you in the midst of your suffering and that he has a full restoration in mind for you one day. Let's pray together. Lord, we do think, as we read today, we think of brothers and sisters all around the globe in North Korea, in Nigeria, in Ukraine, and other places as well, that are sitting in the reality of Psalm 14. They're seeing those that that live a practical atheism, doing what they will, thinking there will be no consequences. But Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them in the suffering, that you're with them in the injustice, and that you have for them a promise of restoration. Lord, for us as a church, may we sit in this psalm this week, be reminded to pray for those that are persecuted and suffering. And Lord, as we read this songbook of scripture together through the rest of this month, may it be something that becomes personal to us, that, that we might be able to, to shout, to cry, to sing the words of the feelings of these songs. I know that you are with us. We thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.